Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeebcom slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. If you had to get a monkey in a red fez to follow a banana, what would you do? But you wouldn't put five zillion other things in his way. You would just focus on the banana. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you were ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Tom Zeeb with the Get Traction Podcast. Here with my producer, Harry Duran. Hey, Harry. How's it going, Tom? <laughs> Doing awesome. Hey, Harry, we, uh, we previously, we went through the different elements of what it takes to become a great real estate investor. Today, I want to delve deeper into the fine deal part of it, the marketing. Yeah, that makes sense, especially using that as a, the way you described it last time. It's, it really lays the foundation for making sure you have success with the other modules going forward. Absolutely. If you don't get this part right, you wind up with nothing. In fact, that's um, usually what happens if you have no game plan for success in your marketing, then you want you stay inconsistent and scattered. Yeah. And that, th that doesn't get you anything. I, my goal is to make you consistent and focused. So move you from inconsistent and scattered, get you consistent and focused, because that's when you're going to start to have marketing success. Uh, the number one reason people fail is that they flat out, they can't find deals. Mm. And if you don't find deals, you never get to progress as a real estate investor. You never get to move through the whole rest of the process. You never make any money. You never get to the goal that you're after. You never get total freedom because you flat out didn't get started right. You didn't find any deals. That's the problem. If we get this wrong, you get marketing wrong, it's tumbleweeds. It's absolute silence. You wind up with no deals, period. That's not what we want. When you turn it around, you get marketing right, you wind up, with a stampede, a stampede of motivated seller leads. And that's when the cash will start to flow in your business. The saying I want people to remember is one everybody knows. Everyone knows Nike and everyone knows they're saying, what's they're saying, Harry? Just do it. Just do it. So with marketing, I want you to just do it. So many people, it's, it's uh, sit and wait and think about marketing and plan the market someday and plan the plan, the plan to maybe someday think about marketing. That's not marketing. You have to actually get down and get stuff going. That means get advertisements running, do your research at the courthouse to get the names, to be able to mail them letters, mail them postcards, get this stuff out there. That way people can be calling you. Otherwise, nobody knows you're in business. And I guarantee nothing will happen if you do nothing. It's interesting because it, I imagine for newbies, there's a lot of 
terminology. There's a lot of moving parts. You mentioned courthouse, you mentioned contracts, and I think it's it gets to be overwhelming. So I imagine when you work with people that are new to this, you probably have to understand that this is their first time. So, you know, they're going to have a lot of questions that you've probably answered hundreds, if not thousands of times before. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. We can talk through what some of those basic questions are. And people go, oh, yeah, I had that question, too. Absolutely. So let's kind of answer it and we'll be able to be able to move your head well. So on the marketing side, I think I mentioned previously that one of my favorite marketing techniques is to out-of-state absentee owners. I love out-of-state absentee owners. So let me tell you how that would be, how we would approach that from a marketing perspective, how people can get that data, get that list. And uh, I'll tell you a story of one of my students that's been very hyper successful with that specific list. The definition of an out-of-state absentee owner is the, the technical definition is that the tax bill for the property is not being mailed to the actual property. Mm -hmm. So Harry, if you live at 123 Main Street, any town USA, uh, that's the property address. And if your tax bill from, from the government is being mailed to 123 Main Street, any town USA, that's owner occupied because you're living in it, you're living in the property and you're getting a tax bill. Now, if the property address is 123 Main Street, any town USA, but let's say the tax bill is being mailed to 456 Elm Street, some other town in some other state, that's an absentee owner and not just an absentee owner, it's an out of state absentee owner. So what I look for are properties where, you know, the properties where I want, you know, where my target area is, and that could, that could be anywhere. You know, for me, it's the Washington DC area, it's Northern Virginia, it's Maryland, I've got, and I've got students all over. So we, we look for things in that specific area. And then you look for an owner who lives far away from that specific area in another state. It's interesting, uh, the designation of, or the focus being not just absentee within the same state, but you, it's, it's even better if they're out of state. Yes, two, technically, excellent point. Technically, two different things there. There are, there's nothing wrong with in-state absentee owners, but I find those in other ways. Like I want them to have a little more motivation. So I'm more likely to find those people from evictions mm -hmm. or probates or other, other things that, that might happen with the raw people that are just far, far away out of state. They can't run by the property and see it just because there's a problem, right? They, they need to, uh, they usually have a property manager. There's something happening remotely. It's not as easy for them to manage as it is for someone more local. Even anyone within an hour's drive is, they're a little too local. I, I'll, I'll find them in other ways when they, when they have other problems occurring. But in general, if someone's far away, I'm, I'm going, that's a good person for me. And that's a mailing that I repeat on a quarterly basis. I send a postcard, I pull the postcard right out of my kit. It speaks specifically to what their issues are, remote management, tenants' toilets, what the problems they might be having. and tells them I'll happily take the property off their hands. They don't even need to come to town. One of the big benefits with me is that they don't even need to come to town. So I tell them, look, you know, save all that money, save all that time. Uh, the, I'll have my settlement company, my escrow officer, they FedEx everything over. All the person has to do is sign it in front of a notary and drop it in the return FedEx envelope and all the paperwork comes back. So it's a big benefit that they don't have to come to town. Therefore, I've not met half my sellers. I've talked to them on the phone. I've maybe seen them on, on Skype or Zoom or something, but I've never actually physically met half of them because the big benefit is they don't need to come to town. And that's a, that's a really cool thing. How much time do people just getting started have to allocate when it comes time to, to preparing mailers like this? Hmm, it's not, not too bad. This list you can get 
oftentimes out of your MLS, out of your multiple listing service, so either you have access or partner up with an agent that has access and you know, tell them any leads you can't do anything with, you'll, you'll give to them. Uh, but in return, you want that, that data so you can mail. My postcard template doesn't take much time at all. You basically customize it, you know, where it says your name, put in your name, your number, put in your number, your address, put in your address. So that keeps it super easy. You know, swap out your, make sure you have your website on there. And then you're ready to go. Get, that, get those postcards out. You can either do them yourself or uh, use an online service. Something like Vistaprint is perfect for it because they'll, they'll also send your postcards for you as well as print them. You mentioned the website there. How important is it to have at least something very simple for folks to take a look at? Well, think about it these days. Would you trust any business that doesn't have a website? No. No. You got, you got, to, have, you got to have a website. I like having a really nice, crisp-looking, modern, professional website because it's a, it's a 24-7, 365 brochure. Yeah. It's a kind, you know, it's there all the time. All my marketing materials mention it. I encourage them to take a look at it because they're going to learn more about me. They're going to see my picture. They're going to see videos. They're going to see information. They're going to see testimonials from other sellers. Uh, and they're going to see a nice looking site that creates a level of trust. And then all that website does is encourage them to fill out the form and submit it. That way they're contacting me. So whether they call me right off of my, my mailing, right off the postcard or the letter, or whether they go to the website first, everything is pointing them towards contacting me. And you've got to keep it that simple. Make sure all roads are pointing to one place and that's contacting you. That, that's good marketing. And really not over, but there's also, you can go the other way where you're, you try to make this really fancy website with all the bells and whistles. And, and I, I think to your point, it's just enough so that you look professional, but not so that you're in the the web maintenance business. Correct. Oh, that, <laughs> I think that's awful. If it, one of the big things I see wrong with a lot of sites from a marketing perspective, I mean, you know, I'm a real estate investor, but I recognize a large part of my success in that is being an excellent marketer. And that's why I've, I, I spend a lot of time on marketing. I spend a lot of time training my students on marketing because it's that important. So I look at other people's websites when I have my marketing hat on and I go, there's way too many buttons. Some of this doesn't make any sense. You know, you can go all these different directions and you lose your focus. One of the guys I follow on this, his name is Seth Godin. He's a marketing guy. And he wrote a book years ago called uh, Monkey in a Red Fez. And it's if you had to get a monkey in a red fez to follow a banana, what would you do? But you wouldn't put five zillion other things in his way. You would just focus on the banana. And he was comparing that to a website. He said, when you go to a website, there's too many choices most of the time. What you want to do is, if it's a monkey and a red fez, you want them to follow the banana. So make sure on your website, the banana choice is obvious. If you need to get them to progress through a couple of pages, make sure it's obvious where the banana is each time. And so when I design my websites for marketing, I, I keep that in mind all the time from Seth, is just make sure the monkey knows exactly what to do. That's a great example. <laughs> so I want to tell you a story about absentee owner marketing because it, it touches on a number of points. It, it teaches a lot about it. So I have a student named Neva and fantastic student. She's done great things in real estate investing. And but I want to tell you about her first deal. I'm going to tell you about her first lead and then I'm going to tell you about her first deal. So her first lead that she got and got a contract on it. Everything about this property was wrong. She sent out absentee owner postcards. And she got a live one. And uh, this owner, the seller, you know, contacted her and was very motivated. But the, everything was wrong about the house. It was an ugly duckling house. And it was at the, the tail end of an ugly duckling street. And the road just kind of collapsed into a, into a drainage ditch. And there's flies and mosquitoes everywhere. And the house itself, there's no driveway. 
and there's 37 steps, 37 steps up to the front. It just didn't make any sense. And so you, you're looking at that going, this probably isn't going to sell because what buyer, what rehabber wants to buy that thinking how long it's going to take them to resell it. It went nowhere and she wasn't able to move it. And that was very disappointing for her. At this point, she had already bought it? No, she had it under contract. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the classic, excellent point. So classic wholesaling example. She used my marketing, found it, negotiated it, put it under contract using my, uh, my four-page pro buyer contract with the intent of assigning that contract to another buyer. So the, 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 her intent was to wholesale it, not to buy it and hold it and not to buy it and rehab it, simply to put it under contract and, and sell her position to another investor. But she couldn't get another investor interested because everything was wrong about this property. But guess how much money she lost on the deal? thousand dollars <laughs> <laughs> nothing no she lost zero she lost zero because the, the way i have my contracts worded if anything goes wrong you can cancel out not free you can cancel out and get your earnest money back and i i, I only teach people to put a hundred dollars down on a contract anyway but even that hundred dollars it's not at risk when you use my contracts so my contracts keep you safe and there's an eject button on there in case you need it there's multiple eject buttons so you can get out so she needed to get out and she lost nothing now was she sad? Yeah, she was a little sad. I said, look, you know, keep your chin up, keep moving, get back, get another round of mailings out there. Let's make this happen. So the second round of postcards go out, second round of absentee owner, out of state absentee owner postcards go out. This time she gets a phone call and she starts going through my deal worksheet with the guy. The deal worksheet is a, um, um, it's a call sheet, but it's not a script. It's not a call script because life doesn't follow a script. I mean, think about how many times you've had a call a company and you wind up stuck in some you know, third world call center and they're, they're just stuck on their script and you're frustrated beyond belief. That's how people feel with scripts. So I don't particularly like using scripts. I don't wanna do that. I just want people to follow a framework. So I use the deal worksheet. It has all the questions you need to ask somebody. That way you can never feel stuck in a conversation. Even if you don't know what to say, just look down at the sheet and ask a question that hasn't been answered yet. So she did that. And one of the questions on there is, how did you find us? which is effectively asking somebody, why did you call me? And he says to her, he goes, well, I called you because you're for real. She says, what do you mean? I'm for, you're for real. I don't, I don't understand. I said, <laughs> she said to him, sir, what do you mean? He goes, look, I called you because you're for real. He goes, Please explain that. He goes, every month I get a few of these things in the mail, but I never see the same names twice. I got a second postcard from you, so I know you're for real, and I want to sell my property to you. Wow. <laughs> so now think about it. We talked about the importance of multiplication, of repetition. Be, you know, if, it's, if, it's, if good marketing is, is the market, which is the who, the message, which is the what, and multiplication, which is the repetition, well, this was repetition setting her, setting her apart from the competition. He said, I get a few of these things in the mail every month. What's a few? Three, four? So again, people worry about their competition, but there's only three or four people that were even bothering to send anything and none of them ever repeated it. So again, she became naturally the only logical choice. He said, I want to sell to you. It was a condo. She put the condo under contract, went to her buyer's list, shopped around for the buyer, put it out there. Buyer said, oh, I like this. She identified a good buyer that was going to work assigned the contract to the buyer. This buyer was gonna be a buy and hold buyer because they had a tenant. He said, you know what, I'll, I'll take it over, leave the tenant in there, everything's great. 
paid $14,700 on the assignment fee. So she made a profit of $14,700 simply from assigning her contract on this guy's condo. And the only reason he had called was because she had reached out multiple times. The second time was the charm. Think about how many people never do it the first round or they, or they, you know, they, they, they get discouraged after the first round. Tony, you need to keep going is in, in that repetition is where the answers are going to be. So a couple of interesting things there. How many cards do you find that typically makes sense to send out? And then when you send out, you send out the first time, then you send out the second time. And so this sounds like you, you do this in waves. So, you know, are, are, there, are there general guidelines for how many you should be sending out and what type of return? You know, I know when we talk about email marketing, you know, people say if you're getting 20% open rate, that's a really good percentage. And I wonder what it's like in, in this market for this ah, type of- That's fascinating. So the, the response rate in, in direct mail marketing uh, across all industries, if you look it up, it's between a half a percent and one and a half percent. So an average of 1%. Only 1% is actually going to respond to you. And I'll, I'll put responding quotes. So what, think about that for a minute. It, only 1%. So for every 100 letters or 100 postcards, 99 go in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And only one gets a response. Maybe they call, maybe they email you, or maybe they just checked out your website. That's a response as well. So, but only one out of 100. So a lot of people get discouraged by that as well. But I, it's, it, this is a numbers game and it's about volume which is the problem why if you only send out 10 letters, you can't expect to get a deal. I like to see people send out no less than 500 postcards a month. Usually my target's 1,000 because I want to have enough kind of statistical odds. That number's going to vary a little bit depending on which jurisdiction you choose. I like to keep it simple and just I go by county or by city. So I'll just pull everybody by a county. So I have some counties where it's only 800 people. I have other counties where it's 1,800 people and everything in between. So uh, I try to have an average about a thousand postcards going out a month. That also keeps my budget stable. That sounds like a, that's an interesting follow-up as well. It sounds like this approach makes sense, and I, and I know we'll be getting into more details in in future episodes. But this idea of planning, and you mentioned a budget, which makes it sound like we need to make sure that we know how much we have to spend, not just on mailers, but all all the other aspects of what the initial investment is is going to cost us. Yes, Harry, my minimum, I like to have students spend about three to $500 a month on marketing. And if you can't squeeze that into your budget, I've got some techniques for how to free up some money out of, out of you know, not make more, but just free up money from what you already have. But three to $500 a month, if you can't swing that, then it's not the right time for you to start. Yeah, I think it's helpful sometimes for people to understand that there's no quick fix solution. And there's no solution that won't require at least a little bit of not only your, your blood, sweat, and tears, but a little bit of your, your cash because you have to invest money. Like the, it's, the adage says, you have to invest money to make money. You got to invest money to make money. And, you're gonna, it, and that's interesting. You're not spending money on marketing. You're investing money on marketing. So I'll point out the difference. See, but there's a difference between spending money and investing money. There's a difference between an expense and a difference between an investment. So it's understanding that is something I find that when people don't, a lot of people when they start off in business don't understand that. Um, that, you know, an expense is something you spent money on and it disappears and you don't get anything back off of it. An investment is you spend money, but on something where you expect to make a return. So yeah, I'm, I'm telling you to spend three to $500 a month on marketing, but we're expecting to get a return on that. The thing is you need to be patient because if you don't get that return in the first month or even the second month, if you're waiting, you know, if you're sweating it out till that third month, that can be nerve wracking. 
particularly if you don't have uh, your mental game right. You got to have the right mindset. You got to you got to stay strong. You know, keep a strong frame. Otherwise, you're going to get. You know, I don't want you falling apart in the second month because you might be. You know, that kind of proverbial few feet away from the gold, but then you quit, even though you were right there. Yeah. Is there a limit or when, when people send to, I'm curious if people send to specific zip codes or parts of the country, is there, are there averages of the types of deals they can expect to find? And is, does it change depending like, well, if I want, maybe I should go for bigger properties because if I can, you know, swap that contract, then it'll just be a bigger payout for me. Yeah. Your wholesale fee average will vary a little bit depending on what the overall price of housing is in your area. So when I've dealt in lower priced housing, let's say stuff in the, let's say 80,000, 100,000, maybe $120,000 range, your wholesale fees tend to pull down more into that five to $6,000 range. When I'm in a pricier area where you might have properties that are, you know, 400,000, 500,000, 800,000, and, and those are very common in a lot of parts of the country as well, the big cities, you know, LA, New York, DC, which is one of the areas I operate in, I average a little bit less than 25 grand a deal. So that's a huge payout as a wholesale fee without ever touching the property. My range, the least amount I've ever made on a property is $3,500 as a wholesale fee. The most I've ever made on a wholesale fee was $65,188. Never owning the property, putting it under contract and assigning it to a buyer. The people say, how do you figure out your fee? What's the difference? Well, we'll cover that in one of the episodes when we talk about negotiating. Because okay. negotiating, the whole negotiation process is how I figure out my fee. I know what my buyer wants to buy at. So how good of a job can I do negotiating the seller to less than that? And the difference, the spread, is my fee. Mm, makes sense. So what we're covering here, Tom, is essentially when, when you say wholesaling, this is what you mean. Yes. When I say wholesaling or assignment of contract or rapid cash generation, as I like to call it, it is finding a motivated seller, negotiating with them, getting them to say yes, and then putting the property under contract. And then the actual act of wholesaling is taking that contract and assigning it, giving all the rights and responsibilities in that contract to another buyer. And it's that buyer who's either, a, you know, they're going to be a landlord or they're going to be a rehabber. And it's that buyer who then comes to settlement. They come to the settlement table with the money and they're the ones actually buying the property. The property never comes into my name. It goes directly from the seller to my ultimate end buyer, and I make a fee for putting that deal together. I think a lot of people, when they think about real estate investing, think about the old school way of like, well, I got to go buy a property and I got to be the landlord and I got to do all the stuff that most people don't want to do. And then they start accumulating properties and it just becomes a logistical nightmare for, the, nightmare for them. And then they get older and then they realize they don't have anyone <laughs> to help them maintain the houses. So Yeah. And and this is a different model, and, and this is something that I think it, it might open the eyes of uh, some newbie investors to this as, as, a, as, a, as a new alternative. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I want people to do is, look, there's nothing wrong with buying and holding property, and there's nothing wrong with buying it, rehabbing it, and reselling it. Uh, for me, it's a personality thing. I don't love tenants. <laughs> I have some tenants because I have rentals now um, after years of avoiding it because it really just doesn't fit my personality that well. And the same thing with rehabbing. I love having done a rehab. I just don't love rehabbing. 
Does that make any sense? Yeah, totally. I love looking back on it and going, oh, that was, look how great this property looks. It was wonderful. But when I'm in the thick of it, I get, I get tired of it very fast. It's a, you know, I like variety and I like change and I don't like uh, projects that take me too long. With the wholesale, I'm, when I find it, I'm in and out in 30 days after that. So that's why I call, I, I call it wholesaling 60 days to done. It's going to take me about 30 days to find one and 30 days to close one. And I've got my paycheck in 60 days and I'd, I'd rather move on than be bogged down with the property. So it just, it fits my personality type perfectly. And what's interesting is that you really don't allow yourself to fall in love with any one particular property. No. Well, I'm in love with all my deals. <laughs> you fall in love with the deal and not the property. Yeah, not the property. I love all my negotiations, but even if it's a great property, that's fantastic. But me falling in love with it isn't going to do anyone any good. It, it's simply, I, I've got to look at it a little bit you know, raw and just look at the numbers and say, look, I'm helping this person. I'm giving the numbers that I want. I'm making money and it's going to be a beautiful property for somebody else. Is that some of the mindset stuff you work with when it comes with, with new students? This idea of maybe glamorizing the, the idea of the property and finding the perfect property and not thinking about it more in this 60 day window? Yeah. Ooh, one, one of the things I got to work on with people is I, I tell them at the beginning, look, every property has a story, but let's not get addicted to that story. Let's just get through the story for what we need to pinpoint the problem. People are trying to wrap you up into their story almost to make themselves feel better. So don't accept it. Just flat out test it for any validity. Make sure you're moving them along because if you don't move them along, then you're trapped in their story and their story isn't doing you any good. So except at the beginning, every property's got a story and every, every probate situation has a story, every divorce has a story, every uh, out-of-state office owner has a story, but we don't care that much. If, if you get too worried about that, you're going to pay more attention to the story than whether or not it's a good deal for you and whether or not they're motivated enough and flexible enough to make it into a deal right now. So we have to say, okay, that very interesting story. Let's figure out where we're at numbers-wise. So to recap, the three major elements to find the deal, the marketing, is the market, which is the who, the message, which is the what, and the multiplication, which is the repetition. So think about what we've done in this example I told you when the story about Neva is her market was out-of-state absentee owners. Like I say, my number one favorite list of all time. I get probably a good 40% of my deals from that list. It's just mm -hmm. been a solid, solid hit. The message is what I say to those people. So we talked about what is an out-of-state owner concerned about? Obviously, they have, they have a tenant, they have someone in the property, they have issues that might come up and they can't handle them because they're far away and remote. So you want to step into their shoes and think like them and make sure your marketing addresses those issues. That way, when they look at your postcard and look at your letter, they're nodding and going, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, and this guy or this gal is offering an easy solution? Oh, fantastic. Well, let me, let me call because uh, I have an issue. I want to get rid of it. So that's getting the message to market match right. And then the multiplication, the repetition is exactly what Neva did with the postcards. It, hey, I called you because you're for real, because you're the only person I got a second mailing from. Yeah, That's it. A repetition is, is oftentimes that simple. You can't quit before you start. You can't quit after just one time. And don't quit after the second time either. Keep it going. Because what we see in marketing statistically, it's like the fifth or sixth touch is when someone finally starts to even acknowledge that you exist yeah so think about how strange that is that that makes no logical sense a lot of marketing doesn't seem to make logical sense but if they don't know you till the fifth or sixth time that you've reached out to them well then you can't quit you can't say it didn't work after one round of mailing you have to keep going because being there for them when they're ready 
that's what you need to be. And that's why you get a repetition cycle down, stick to it and make it happen. If the repetition is the number one, th I drill that into my students' heads at the boot camp and at the master class, and, and people come back and go, you know, you were so right about that, Tom. I find when I got my repetition down, people said, you know, I've been hanging on to your postcard and I was thinking about calling you. Uh, well, why didn't you? Well, then I got another postcard from you and it reminded me, okay, and why didn't you then? Well, I still didn't. And I got a third one and finally I said, okay, fine. But what you have to understand is happening is every time they've gotten that postcard or that letter from you, they've thought about it. Yeah. And maybe they're not ready yet and they hold on to it or they, they put it in with their bills and they're going to deal with it next month when they pay their bills. And then they, you know, they punt for another month, but it's okay. Eventually they get to the point where they're ready for you, but they've been thinking about it. So you, you've planted a seed and that seed starts to grow. So it's like the old saying about the best time to plant an oak tree. Do you know when the best time to plant an oak tree is? Today? Or well, that's, that's the second best time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best time was 50 years ago, but since that's already passed, the, the second best time is right now. So you gotta just start now, plant those seeds now and let those marketing seeds grow. That way we can start having good deals for you. Yeah, and what's interesting that each card builds upon the next one and it sort of reaffirms that like, I'm still here, I'm still here, I'm still here. And I think maybe even seeing that it's coming continuously from the same person. And if they've resonated so much with it that they're holding it in their hand the first time, then when they get it the second time, they're, they're like, well, it, I don't think it's an annoying as we sometimes think it is. It's not annoying at all. It's credibility. Yeah. They go, okay, this, per this person's credible. Think about it, Harry. The number one thing that seems to be missing in the world these days is consistency. Mm -hmm. Most people are horribly inconsistent and they know it. They're inconsistent in their own lives, in their business life and their personal life. And you inherently don't trust somebody who's not consistent. But when something happens consistently, you go, they must be a serious player. Or, or they certainly take their business seriously. And we trust that. So you can create that same level of trust in your motivated sellers simply by being consistent and being out there. And then people look and go, huh, okay, there might be a bunch of, I might've gotten five or six of these postcards in the mail, but there's only one name that I've seen before. Yeah. I think I'm going to call that one first or that one's going to, so it's like I say, every step of the process is designed to crush competition at the same time. It's designed to move us towards our goal. And so that's just one more way of crushing the competition is by being consistently repetitive. Makes sense. So for folks that are getting started, is there some type of guide that you have that, that will help them uh, work through these steps a little easier? Yes. I actually have a fantastic uh, cheat sheet. I call it the deal flow cheat sheet. It's designed to help you. Um, I, I put in there the five key marketing elements that help you move your real estate business from friction to flow. It's all about getting the message to market match right and making sure that your marketing is matching who it is that you're reaching out to. Okay. So what for the benefit of the listener, we'll put that in the show notes for this episode, or if you're, you're wherever you're consuming this, if you look in the description, it'll get you to get tractionpodcast.com and look for the deal flow cheat sheet. Yeah. Perfect. Download it. You'll love it. It's a, it's a, it's a quick read. It's a powerful read. So this is really great and a nice way to lay the foundation for what needs to get done for people that are just getting started. We walked through the concept of wholesaling, which might be a new concept for some people. And I think we'll get them excited and have them think about real estate investing in a different way. And I think hearing the success stories of your students as well is inspiring for people because they want to know that people have walked this path before and that they've had success and that, they, that makes them feel like they, they're able to do this as well. Terrific, Harry. Next episode, I'd like to talk about negotiation, about make the deal. It's one of my absolutely favorite topics. So uh, I'll be like a kid in a candy store uh, talking about negotiation. You won't want to miss it. 
Tom Zeeb's three-day Rapid Cash Generator Implementation Bootcamp teaches you the entire business of wholesale flipping properties for a quick profit. You'll learn how to master marketing to find deals, make the deal by negotiating with ease, and using the right legal contracts to control the deal so you get paid. The next bootcamp is coming up soon. Go to tractionrealestatementors.com forward slash bootcamp for more details and to sign up today.